Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. Heavenly Father, sanctify us by the truth. Your word, which calls us to thee, is truth. Amen. The gospel lesson for the last Sunday of Epiphany is always the transfiguration of Jesus. It is the literal pinnacle epiphany. It's the greatest revealing that has ever been seen on earth. Jesus' appearance changes before Peter, James, and John. He is shown with all the glory of God. His face was shining like the sun. His clothing became as white as the light. And I would imagine that Matthew's description here of com- in comparison of Jesus to the sun and to light itself doesn't even do it justice. And we sing it in the hymn, Beautiful Savior, fair is the moonlight, or fair is the sunshine, fair is the moonlight, bright the sparkling stars on high, Jesus shines brighter. Jesus shines purer. You know, sometimes evolutionists and higher critics who who don't believe Scripture criticize the Bible and the creation of the world that on day one, God created light and the dark, but but the sun and the moon aren't created until day four. So how could this be? But if Jesus, as light and as eternal God and pure light himself was there when all these things were created and created all these things, you don't need the sun or moon to give light. And in fact, the way the book of Revelation talks about the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth, it says heaven does not need the sun or moon to shine on it because the glory of God has given it light and the Lamb, Jesus, is its lamp. Jesus is the bright morning star. And this is the glory that Peter, James, and John are suddenly enveloped in. And Moses and Elijah are there as representatives of the entire Old Testament, the law and the prophets. And remember, Moses and Elijah have been long dead by this point. But here they are fully alive, talking with Jesus. And so what this means is that Peter, James, and John here in the Transfiguration are given a preview of the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. It's why we say in our funerals that death is not the end, but that death has been overcome. And notice that Peter, James, and John know exactly who Moses and Elijah are without being told. There were no photographs of Moses or Elijah. They didn't know what they looked like but they know exactly who they are. The only way this is possible is if there is a communion with them. And that's what heaven is. The communion of all God's saints. The Super Bowl is in two weeks. And today I guess we'll find out uh, whether or not Green Bay will be in it. We'll try to keep the voters' assembly short. Uh, but if you know me today as little bearing on my life, uh, I watch the Super Bowl solely for the commercials <laughs> and especially the, the previews. 
I'm really holding up for a new Marvel movie preview. The previews are supposed to get you all excited uh, about the real thing. And that's what the transfiguration is. It's a preview of the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. It's a preview of heaven. And Peter, understandably, wants to stay there because it's so nice. We can't blame him. We, uh, his reaction is completely natural. You know, you can get a little glimpse of this when, when you go on vacation and, and it's so nice that you don't want to come back to, to real life. Or you're with family uh, and, and you're with them after seeing them for not, for not, or after not seeing them for a very long time. Um, or at some great refreshing event, pastoral conferences for me are like this. You know, these are all beautiful things created by God and His glory for us to enjoy. And, and if we enjoy these things that much and don't want to go back to normal life, just think how Peter felt. He literally experienced heaven on that mountain. And let me tell you, it had been a rough week for Peter. Matthew says it's been six days. Six days since what? Six days earlier, uh, or seven days, uh, Peter had made his great confession. But in that time, in those six days, after being taught that Jesus' purpose is to suffer and die for the sins of the world, Peter actually fell from the faith and rebuked Jesus. The agitation Peter had over the horrifying prospect of losing his friend and teacher, coupled with ceaseless labor, had brought Peter as well as James and John to the point of exhaustion. St. Luke says that he and the others were weighed down with sleep on the mountain. I'd imagine similarly to the drowsiness someone who suffers uh, from depression might feel. Every other problem in Peter's life, the physical exhaustion of, of not really having a home, he and the other disciples were constantly on the move with Jesus from town to town. The mental exhaustion of, of people constantly coming to him with their problems and their needs and their sicknesses. The fear of, of what their enemies, the, the Pharisees and the chief priests, what, what they were up to next. Uh, the, the ever-present plagues of first century Palestine. Uh, the shifting political power between the Jewish and the Roman authorities and governments. None of those problems existed on the mountain in that little preview of heaven. Peter wants to stay. He wants to make that his home, but he can't, not yet. This is just the preview, not the actual movie. Jesus has to fulfill what he had told them before. He has to go to the cross. So what happens next, I don't think, is an understatement to say will have the most important impact on Peter's eternal future. Because up to this point, Peter had relied on everything he could see and feel. He felt like Jesus shouldn't die. He had seen all the miracles of Jesus, uh, all the healing and feeding Jesus had done, and felt like that should be the way things should continue. He had been so focused on the present, on the things of the world, how he felt in the moment. Peter had been living from one spiritual experience to the next spiritual experience, like an addict living from one dose to the next. 
This is the way of the world. We focus on how we feel in the moment, and we conclude that must be the way things really are. The way we feel is the way things are. And the majority of what passes for Christianity today uh, is built around these mountaintop spiritual experiences. We're always looking for Jesus in the big, in the shiny, in the powerful, in the prosperous, in the healthy. And we love to talk about all the glory and the benefits you'll get if you, if you just follow Jesus, if you join such and such a church, if you, if you have such and such a religious experience. In fact, you don't even need to go to church for all of that. But this is not sustainable. Faith is not built or sustained by experiences. Had exhausted and depressed Peter been allowed to continue thinking that way, focus on experiences and feelings, he would have sunk even further, likely falling from the faith forever. Because over that mountain, even more difficult days lied ahead. He thought the past year or two were difficult, but what's to come will shake Peter to his core. The suffering and death of Jesus in Jerusalem as Jesus ascends another mountain, Mount Calvary, for the cross. On the Mount of Transfiguration, there was light and resurrection life, and from heaven, the voice of God. On Mount Calvary, there will be darkness and death. And from heaven, silence. But thankfully, what happens next shakes Peter free from his love of glory and reminds him that this world is not his permanent home. Don't go setting up shop just because you found something that feels good. God the Father speaks from heaven. This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then the important part for Peter, listen to him. Immediately they were terrified, but, but then Jesus approached them, and after touching them, he says, get up, don't be afraid. The Christian faith is not primarily about experience and action. The Christian faith primarily is about hearing and receiving. Listen to Him. Saving faith comes by hearing. And this is good news because it means that you don't need to go looking for Jesus. You don't need to find Jesus in the glamorous and the wonderful and when things feel good. God hasn't promised you that you will feel His presence. But He has promised to be with you always, even when you don't feel it. Sometimes Christianity does make you all nice and warm and fuzzy. Sometimes it, and it can be wondrous. But most of the time, and I do mean most of the time, Christianity is simply a, a promise that gets you through the darkness. This is why the transfiguration ends. It's why the only thing left on that mountain is Jesus. And I love the way the New King James Version puts it. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. When we focus on Jesus only, Jesus actually becomes everything. Years later, Peter said, and this was in our epistle lesson, that it was this event 
that enabled him and the other disciples to, to continue in the face of immense difficulty, not because of the experience, but because it pointed them, as he said, to the completely reliable prophetic word. The same word that you are hearing today. And you may not have realized it, but every Sunday, the Lord is transfigured for you. You are given the same encouragement as Peter. In the commentary on the transfiguration, Lutheran pastor Fred Lindemann uh, compares our lives every week to that of those three disciples. They'd gone up the mountain after six days uh, that Peter had made his great confession. Well, six days have elapsed by since we made our confession last week in the presence of God and his disciples last Sunday at church. And today, on the seventh day, the Lord leads us up away from all the problems and chaos in the world to be transfigured. And Man, it's been a week for us, too. And we may find it a little tiring, a little strenuous to, to follow Jesus to the mountain again, to church. In the hour here, we may find more peaceful than exciting, and it may make us sleepy and drowsy as the mountain did for Peter, James, and John. But here, Jesus is transfigured for us in bread and wine. Our eyes get to see our salvation in the person of Jesus. At the same moment that Christ, who is present in heaven, is also present on earth in his body and blood and with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify his glorious name, praising him and saying, Holy, holy, holy. We even now are, are a part of the company of heaven, the communion of saints. We commune with Moses and Elijah. We are now on the mountaintop. At no time are, are we closer to heaven than in the moment of communion with our Lord and King. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, Jesus said. I shall drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You are privileged to commune with Christ on the mountain. Jesus only took with him three disciples. How poor the other nine were to not be there. Until our Lord comes again, the, the darkest mystery will, will always be how many, how many people can be satisfied with, with grubbing around in a dingy world when the mountaintop and Christ are here after six days of earthly strife and trouble. When the world around you is going crazy, there is no better place to be than the house and the mountain of the Lord. Lord, it is good for us to be here. Because what we receive here changes us. It transfigures us. Like Peter, we too must go down the mountain. We have to go back to our regular vocations and our regular lives and our regular, our regular homes and jobs. And like Peter, we don't know what lies ahead for, for ourselves, for our families, or for our church, even this next week. But having received this preview of the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come, we come down joyously conscious that we are on our way home. 
no matter what's to come ahead, we see the dawn of Easter and the, and the glorious lights of home. In Jesus' name, amen.